This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. One of the things that resonates with me about today's guest, Allison Monahan, is that she did not know what she wanted to be when she grew up. Until one day at lunch, she decided to go to law school, which she did. She graduated from Columbia Law School in 2006, had a fantastic career as a patent litigator, and then went on to create The Girl's Guide to Law School, which rapidly became a leading resource for women and some men embarking on a legal career. She later met and then partnered with her current business partner, Lee Burgess, and co-founded Law School Toolbox, which helps demystify the law school and early legal career experience so that you could be the best law student or lawyer you can be. In the episode, we talk about a whole host of different topics. And what I found particularly interesting was how strong her relationship is with her business partner, Lee. She talks about what makes it so strong and how they are able to continue to grow not only together, but grow the business in a way that is truly exceptional. We also talk about passing the bar, what that looks like, how difficult it is, and AI. Hey, Allison, welcome to the podcast. I can hardly wait to hear about your business and just your journey as an entrepreneur. But first, I want to welcome you to Women Who Build Empires. Well, thank you. I am delighted to be here and really excited to chat. Yeah. So I just want to dive right in. Like, tell me, tell me everything. (laughs) Where do you want to start? Why Law School Toolbox? Um, What was the catalyst for that? Yeah. So if you told me in law school that I was going to end up running a business, I would have said that was totally ridiculous. I'm like, I don't know anything about this. I have no interest in this. I have no aptitude for this. That's just not what I'm going to do. Um, But Yeah, it turns out that being a lawyer, uh, particularly in a large firm, is extremely demanding on your time. Um, And at some point, I think I read Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek Mm -hmm. and realized maybe there were other ways to make a living that did not involve selling my time. So that was kind of percolating around, I guess, in my head. And when I was in law school, I had the idea to write a book for women in law school, kind of all the stuff I wish that I'd known. And so my friends at some point got sick of hearing about this book and (laughs) were basically like, look, you either need to write this book or stop talking about it. And if you're going to write it, you basically have to quit your law firm job. So I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, you know, maybe there is a way to do this. So I quit my job and I started writing the book and I went through all the steps, you know, tried to get an agent, all of these things, did the proposal nothing was really flying. And I realized I had a life coach at the time and we'd kind of made a schedule and I was like, I'm going to be sitting at my computer 
alone at my kitchen table for the next 18 months before I finish this book. And she sort of said, look, you know, you have a design background. You used to be a web programmer. Maybe you should just take the book and kind of put it on the internet and see if anybody is interested. Because if not, you know, what's the point? <laughs> no, reason to, no reason to write it. So that actually became my first website, which was The Girl's Guide to Law School. Um, and through that, I actually met my now business partner on Twitter. We both, you know, were kind of back in the day before Twitter was just bots talking to each other and it was actual people. We traded some links and realized we lived about a mile from each other, decided to have coffee because it was in that phase where neither of us were really knew what we were doing and we're just sort of talking to anyone, you know, who was around and would talk to us. So we met for coffee. Turned out she was a bar exam tutor in California working one-on-one -on -one with students in person and kind of just started this business. And the second time we met for lunch, like a month or two later, by the end of lunch, we had decided to go into business together. Uh, we were going to take sort of my like tech design web background, knowledge of how to do all these things on the internet, plus her teaching background, and basically created the law school toolbox at that lunch. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I kind of joke it's like a shotgun marriage, which actually worked out. <laughs> no, I mean, we got super lucky. Like, I'm not sure I'd recommend most people do that. Yeah. Turned out, you know, we were great business partners, like really compatible people and also very congruent kind of, you know, puzzle. If you fit the puzzle piece together of like what she knows versus what I do and I know, uh, it just really fit together really well. So I feel like we got super lucky on that. I would say yes, given the number of partnerships that I've seen <laughs> come together and dissolve over time. Um, mostly unhappily right? with people feeling, having hurt feelings or upset. So what a blessing to. No, super lucky. I mean, I think we've like barely even had disagreements ever like on anything. I remember like one time we sort of fundamentally disagreed very early on about someone or something. And it was just like, Ooh, I don't know. But like, that was basically the only time. I mean, her husband jokes that I'm her work wife um, because that's kind yeah. of how close we are. You know, we're like trustees on each other's trust and things like that. Yeah. What has kept the relationship fostering growth and keeping both of you together and working like in a really, it sounds like a really good way. Yeah. I mean, I think both of us have always tried to be flexible in terms of like what has come up in the other person's life or experience. I mean, for example, one of the places we really started to scale our business and bring people on to help, which I think is kind of usually a hard step for any entrepreneur to figure out, like, is this the right time, was kind of forced upon us because Lee, my partner, she was pregnant with her first kid. And I had this random accident with a butter knife where I severed a tendon in my pinky and literally was like, I had to have surgery. I couldn't type for two months. And so that was kind of the point where both of us sat down and we're like, okay, you know, we need to bring people on. And so I think that sort of flexibility of like not freaking out about everything, but just being like, all right, this is how things are going. This is what we need to do. And ironically, that's, you know, kind of one of the things that allowed us to start scaling the business was obviously having people work with us. And I think that level of flexibility and just being very open about what's going on. One of kind of our primary considerations with anyone we work with is like, look, you can just tell me what's happening in your life. Like, I want to know if it's going to impact anything. You don't have to hide things. You know, we're not going to like fire you because something's happening. Your kid's sick or whatever it is, you know, or your dog needs surgery and you're going to be like distracted for a few weeks. You know, things happen. So I think we've just tried to always run the business with a certain degree of openness and like 
have people, whether it's us or people who work with us, bring us problems before they kind of fester. Right. A very proactive approach. I would just rather know, you know, <laughs> like if well, I know there's a problem, I can start to deal with that problem. Right. I, If it's like months later and suddenly, you know, people are upset and students are upset and things have been, it's like, okay, that is not, that's not the scenario we want to be in. Exactly. And I think it gives you the opportunity, one, to be proactive, to plan ahead, but also be supportive. Right. Exactly. You know, we send a lot of gift baskets and things to people who are having stuff go on. But yeah, I mean, in terms of Lee and I, what kind of keeps it going, I think part of it is that we've gotten pretty specific about what we want to be doing and what we are not good at or don't want to be doing. And again, I've been like pretty straightforward about that. Like, okay, I hate this thing that I'm doing. Can you do it or can someone else do it or can we automate it or can we stop doing it? And I think that's actually what I've learned about running a business that's really interesting is the great part about running the business is you don't actually have to do the things you don't want to do because you can have other people do them. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And they like doing those things. So that, yeah, that's a great point. There are a lot of different types of people in the world. And I mean, one of the people that really keeps everything running for us, has just a very different way of being in the world. She has different things she enjoys doing. And so she is that person who loves checking things off the list and like keeping everything organized. And that is not my strong suit. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I am happy to have this person like do everything. And like, you know, she's so nice and like so patient and, you know, answers questions that I would just be like, this is idiotic, like so patiently. And I'm like, you are amazing. I'm so happy that you are doing these things for me. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you find that you're more of like the idea generator, visionary? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the builder. I actually have like a master's in architecture. So I think I'm good at sort of taking that idea doing all the research, the data, you know, figuring out what it's going to look like and then actually designing it. That's kind of my strong suit, not necessarily the day-to-day implementation and like keeping things running and like lists of this and that. I'm just like, I do not have the patience for this. Well, and creating and building things is a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. That's the fun part. I'm like, oh, give me a new course to work on. That sounds really fun. You know, right now we're like putting our content on YouTube and it's like, okay, that's like an interesting, you know, how do I transition like from a podcast to YouTube? Like that's a fun and interesting problem. And like, let's make it look nice and that kind of thing. But actually like uploading things and all that like daily. No, not for me. Me neither. Me neither. (laughs) That's probably why you do what you do too. Yes. Yeah. I would love to talk to people all day. Don't ask me to edit anything. Right. Exactly. So, you know, the other thing that Lee and I both do a lot of are like intake calls and sales calls. And I'm like, that's great. You know, give me 20 or 30 minutes with somebody, like talk about their problems. Like I'm happy to do that all day long. Yeah. But yeah, not to like later than like get them set up with whatever they need to get set up with and track how it's going and all that. Right. Right. With um, Law School Toolbox, what are some of the challenges that you're helping people with and and get better at? Because you help not only kind of as a as a you know, say tutorial, but with law school students, but also help them prepare for the bar. Right. So we have kind of two main things we do. One is we work with law students, everything from starting. So we have a start law school right course that's kind of a hybrid, virtual, like hands on model. In law school, they can get tutoring help, and then. We also work a lot with people who are struggling with a bar exam. So there are a lot of the people where we 
we are working with have failed at least once, maybe twice. You know, they're pretty demoralized at this point. Right. Um, so we basically try to help them learn these skills that they need to pass. And one of the reasons Lee and I started the law school toolbox was actually she was hearing at the time from her bar students, you know, who'd gone through law school, taken the exam, not been successful, and then worked with her. And a lot of them actually said, oh, I wish I'd known the things you were teaching me now, like in law school, I would have done so much better. It would have been a lot easier. So we kind of took that idea. And that's really where the law school toolbox itself sort of came from. Right. I mean, if I remember correctly, too, the number of people that pass the bar exam on the first try isn't that big. It depends on the state. But yeah, I mean... It definitely is not anywhere close to 100%. Um, in California, it's probably around 70%, and that's one of the lower pass rates. But that's, you know, first-time takers, accredited law schools. Talking about a pretty decent number of people every year, you know, who paid a lot of money, spent a lot of time and energy in law school, and then are not passing this exam. Yeah, that's really frustrating. It is really frustrating. I mean, I personally think the bar is a ridiculous exam. You know, if you asked someone to do what they're asked to do on the bar in reality, they would almost certainly be committing malpractice. But, you know, it is a test you have to pass. I mean, for example, I was a patent litigator. The patent stuff is not tested anywhere on the bar. So nothing I was doing from a you know day-to-day perspective is actually tested on the bar exam. And then they had me answering questions about like family law, civil procedure. Well, civ pro is okay because I was a TA, but, you know, criminal procedure. It's like, you know, somebody called me and said, my friend's just been arrested what should I do? Like help them. I'd be like, you should call a criminal defense attorney. Here's a number. <laughs> you know, like I would not just give them advice on that. Right, right. How much do the I guess the laws vary or how much do does each state change what the regulations are to pass the bar? And are you able to kind of manage all of those? Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. When we started, we were mostly, well, pretty much exclusively doing work in California. And over time, uh, the last like five to 10 years, the uniform bar exam has come into play in more states in the country. So I think right now it's around 40 something. Mm -hmm. So that's great for us because basically then we have the uniform exam is one set of tutors and then we have California that's another set. So at this point, there are only a handful of states we don't really work in. And with a uniform exam, each state sets their own pass rate so or pass score. So some of them are higher, some of them are lower. But the actual exam and the questions, those are all consistent across the country. That must be really fun to kind of manage for some <laughs> detailed person. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to call it fun. No, we don't actually create substantive materials. So we use right. substantive materials that other people have created with our students. Uh-huh. We focus a little more on process. So we have some like video workshops and things we've created where they do questions along with us and we kind of break it down. So stuff like that is super interesting to make, but like, yeah, maintaining, I mean, particularly now when like laws are changing left and right, thank you to the Supreme Court, that is definitely kind of a an open question right now. But like, what law are they testing? It takes three years to develop questions, but, you know, this fundamental piece of law just changed like a year ago. Are they just not testing the topic? This is literally a conversation going on like in my Slack group with my tutors this week is like, what do I tell people, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And what type of communication and personalization do people who are using your platform get? Well, I mean, they're working one-on-one typically with a tutor. So 
we create a custom schedule for them. So that's in a tool. I don't never know if they pronounce it Asana or Asana. I mean, I took yoga classes, but usually we go with Asana for the non-yoga. So yeah, they have a schedule and it's a really, you know, particularly with the, I mean, really with both, you know, it can turn into a pretty intensive relationship because, you know, there are a lot of kind of fraught emotions around a lot of this. There's a lot of shame, a lot of, you know, all the things that people struggle with, procrastination, anxiety, all of that stuff comes to play here. So a lot of what our tutors are doing is kind of managing that piece of the puzzle as much as like, oh, you know, your essay did not address this topic that it should have addressed. Even something like that is like, you know, how do you say that to somebody? (laughs) Different students are going to require a different approach to be able to hear that. Yeah. And how have you grown over the last several years? Um, Well, COVID was super interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) For everybody. Yeah, for everybody. I mean, ironically for us, actually, our law school toolbox tutoring business really took off with COVID, I think, because everything went virtual. And so students like didn't have access to a lot of the resources they would normally have had, you know, dropping by office hours and things like that just weren't an option. So we actually saw a pretty big uptick in that business. Um, The bar exam was a complete mess during COVID. Like it's supposed to happen twice a year in February and in July. So the February exam happened like literally weeks before COVID really kind of popped up in 2020. And then the July exam kept being postponed you know, it was supposed to happen in July and then August and September. So it finally happened in October Mm -hmm. in like a truncated form, um, which messed up everybody's results because usually they'd get the results in November and then they weren't getting them until like January. So that was all like a big old mess. Um, But eventually it's kind of settled back into place. So we've kind of, you know, maintained essentially a steady state to some growth throughout that. And it's just been like a kind of wild ride. Cool. What does that look like for you from a challenges perspective? Like what in systems processes, what you're building, how you're you're helping students learn better as you're continuing to grow? Like what changes or roadblocks have you come up against? That's a really interesting question. So most recently, to be honest, we'd kind of taken Lee and I had sort of taken our eye off the ball a little bit um, over the last year or so, just because, you know, everybody's been distracted. The tutors have been a little distracted. So we kind of got the sense after this last bar season, based on sending out a student survey and things, I was like, we should survey the students. Kind of got some negative feedback. And, you know, some of it was pretty valid. So that's kind of caused us to step back, kind of take a look at the whole process of working with students, you know, what are we not paying attention to that maybe we should be paying attention to. So starting now, I've actually started sending out a weekly email survey, kind of just a check-in to all the students who are active saying, again, how did your week go? Asking them some specific questions, Mm -hmm. doing the same thing with the tutors, like sending them an email, like, you know, who are you concerned about? Like, how has your week gone? That kind of thing. So that's been really interesting um, over the last like three or four weeks. It's trying, trying to figure out that process, like, you know, who is sending this stuff. Again, sort of the thing I'm not good at, like sitting and copying and pasting, but I'm doing it right now. And I'm like, hmm, maybe someone else could be doing this. But then like looking at the data is like, oh, this is such a hassle. But at the same time, it's actually really useful and interesting. So I think there's some resistance to kind of doing that. But at the same time, I think it's been already like pretty beneficial just in that we can step in and kind of check in with people like, hey, you know, 
you're telling me you're concerned about the student, do you want me to step in, um, reach out to them? Or if a student maybe has told us something in the survey that they haven't brought up with their tutor, we can reach out to the tutor and say, hey, you know, FYI, this mm-hmm. is an issue you might need to check in on. So your level of customer service and client experience is really high. Well, we're trying to make it very high. <laughs> it, it was not super high necessarily for the last like, you know, month, year or so. But, you know, I think it's one of those things. Like on the one hand, you want to trust the people that are working for you. But at the same time, you also need to make sure that balls are not being dropped um, because people are losing focus or whatever it is. Right, right. How has that impacted the way you lead or develop your team? I would say in some cases, we've had to step in a little bit more and kind of take back things that had been outsourced, maybe too much. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was funny. I was doing this program and they were like, oh, you should outsource everything. And it's like, okay, well, I think in this case, we've kind of over delegated in a sense. And there were certain things that like had been delegated that needed to come back and have a little more attention from the top, basically. And for people to know that, you know, so all the tutors are aware at this point, like we are sending surveys to your students every week. Like if there's anything of concern, we'll let you know. So, you know, they know that there are these checkpoints. Right. Right. I think that's part of growth with any company though. Yeah. Finding that right balance of delegating really building trust and relationships with your team, in your case, your tutors, and then continuing to expand and having obviously great experiences for your clients. Right. I think it's a balance because you don't want to be micromanaging people and like, but at the same time, you know, if there's like we were talking about earlier, if there's an issue, I want to know about that sooner rather than later. So in this case, I think we've tried to sort of frame it as a partnership. Like we're going to be checking in with them. We'll let you know if there's a problem. Right, right. I'm going to shift gears just a tiny bit. And I'm curious if you met somebody who was potentially thinking about starting an educational platform, what advice would you give them? That's a great question because I have lawyers love to think that they're going to do some type of thing, like not necessarily education, education, but like, oh, I want to like, you know, do career counseling website for students or whatever. I guess the first thing, and this maybe is not super encouraging, is like a lot of this stuff is harder than it looks. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So people, you know, they might look at like a product we've developed and be like, oh, that looks so simple. Like you just threw this together. And it's like, well, no, actually to make it that simple and clean and easy to use is actually a really hard process. Yeah. Um, so I think people need you know, a lot of clarity around kind of what they're bringing to the table. Also, you know, what kind of the market is for that. I mean, you know, the reality in the legal space is this is not a huge market. So, you know, if I were just doing some sort of educational thing, I might be like kindergarten, like everyone goes to kindergarten, you know, versus law school, which not not a huge market. And I would say everybody who's in law school can most certainly use law school toolbox. Yeah. Well, we have a free podcast that actually a lot of people listen to. We've had upwards of 4 million downloads at this point on like the two combined. So, um, you know, we try to put out a lot of free content that's actually really solid and really helpful um, because we understand not everybody can just drop like hundreds of dollars an hour on a tutor. And, you know, that's not necessarily fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we try to provide a lot of value, but at the same time, we understand like that's just not feasible for everyone. 
Yeah. Yeah. How is AI impacting your business? Ooh, <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> playing with it. I I mean, you know, I think the legal profession is ultimately probably one of the things that obviously is already being impacted and will be impacted. Um, one of the ways I was trying to use it recently is, as I mentioned, we have all these podcasts, we're trying to turn them into videos. And part of what we want to do is like, you know, basically generate slides. It's like, okay, well, I have this transcript that's 20 or 30 minutes long. Is there any way I can basically make an AI like generate my slides for me? Turns out you kind of can. I mean, it's not entirely perfect, but, you know, I was basically running the transcript through and it was generating bullet points and even in, in one case images all the way into the slides. So that was kind of cool. I'm not sure we're actually going to use it, but I mean, I think, you know, we give a lot of feedback mm-hmm. and our feedback is like really detailed and really good. So I don't think that currently that is something that we can really train an AI on, but it's definitely something I'm looking at. And, you know, I don't think it's something that necessarily would be 100%, but it may be this sort of thing where we could basically train an AI on, like, the questions and the answers and the answer keys and samples and blah, blah, blah. And then maybe it gets, you know, 70% of the way there, and then an actual tutor comes in and kind of, like, does the the final pass. So we're definitely looking at it. It's been, I've been playing with it more um, and more from an idea generating, brainstorming not copywriting from the perspective of using what it is, but more the idea or, or a fl- certain flow that I'm looking for. And it's been really fun. Uh, yeah. I had a really interesting set of conversations one night with just like, playing around with like chat GPT, where I basically asked yeah. it to teach me certain legal topics as if I was a law student, you know, who wanted to learn about this topic. And so I picked ones I was super familiar with from having been a TA And then the really interesting part was I actually had it start generating practice questions for me on like very specific things like within this topic. And by and large, it actually did a really a pretty good job. It was one interesting case where there was like a logical flaw that it clearly like just didn't get because it wasn't a language thing. Um, So that was also kind of interesting. But by and large, like it was pretty good. Cool. I think it'll be very interesting to see how AI just continues to be included in how we work and and the businesses that we build. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think anyone doing education, like I looked at what Khan Academy is using it for, and they've sort of trained an AI on all of their material. And so they're using it essentially like a tutor for whatever the topic is where somebody in, you know, the great thing they were saying is like, it never gets tired. It never gets bored. You can just keep asking questions. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it percolates. Very yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I kind of took that idea. I was like, well, what if I was a law student? Like wanted to learn more about this topic and do like a practice problem. Like, you know, I was giving it like pretty specific stuff and it was giving me back like pretty reasonable questions to practice. Cool. What's next for you? Maybe in the next five years? Well, that is a fun question. Um, yeah. So one of the things that we have been thinking about Well, one thing, the bar exam is changing, so that's going to be a big uh, kind of figure it out type of situation where no one's really quite sure what it's going to look like. That's the less fun part. But yeah, Lee and I are talking about possibly expanding into like particularly the media stuff, so the podcasts and the YouTube and stuff like that. We are interested in kind of expanding into other areas that we haven't really totally formalized yet, but just things that we would find interesting to talk about 
other people might find interesting to listen to and someone might be willing to pay us to talk about. Okay. So we have to stay tuned is what you're saying. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not sure either, but <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah. I would think there's a lot of different topics and, and areas that you could potentially expand into and uh, and have fun playing with. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's just so much that, you know, you could talk about that people would probably be interested in. You know, it's always a question of like, well, how do you monetize that? Like, are we going to sell something? Like somebody would pay for it. So, but these are just ideas we're batting around at this point. Well, my fingers are crossed. Uh, good luck. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> Thank amazing. you. Thank um, you. For everybody who is listening, where can they find you and what is the podcast? Sure. So we have two podcasts. There's the Law School Toolbox podcast and the Bar Exam Toolbox podcast. Those are on all of your favorite listening apps. Apple Podcasts is probably the biggest one, but Spotify is actually really big for the Bar Exam one for some unknown reason. So you can listen to those. Um, we have the website, uh, lawschooltoolbox.com, baregzamtoolbox.com. I also have my first website, The Girl's Guide to Law School, up. People can always email me, Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, at lawschooltoolbox.com or pretty much any of those other domains, too. Awesome. Thank you so much. I've loved our conversation and everything that you're doing to help students get through law school and take the bar exam. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. Awesome. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.